0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. For years, the state of Illinois' finances have been... What's a polite word we can use? How about shaky? Years of politicians kicking the fiscal can down the road were made worse by a governor and a legislature locked in a death spiral, even as unpaid bills and payments to the pension system piled up. Ratings agencies took notice, and as the state's ratings dropped, it became more expensive to borrow money to keep the state running. Well, Illinois finally got some good news last week when New York-based Fitch Ratings bumped Illinois' financial outlook from negative to stable. Now, the state's credit remains the worst of any state in the country, just a notch above junk status. But Fitch says Illinois' potential for a rating downgrade in the near term has receded. Eric Kim, Senior Director at Fitch Ratings, explains the change.
0: So for Fitch, the change in outlook to stable from negative really means that the fiscal picture, from our perspective, has improved a bit. The potential for us to downgrade the state's rating in the near term has come down. It's really about what Governor Pritzker and the legislature were able to do in the past few months on their own and what they were able to benefit from. Now, a big piece was a surge in tax collections in April, way beyond what the state had budgeted for. By about one and a half billion dollars, and that allowed the governor and the legislature to plug a budget gap of more than a billion dollars last fiscal year, and also really made the process of adopting a budget for the current fiscal year that we're in right now much smoother. I mean, it's not surprising that having lots of unexpected money made things easier, but we don't think the credit situation for Illinois has fundamentally changed, and that's why we kept the rating at triple B.
1: Well, and give us a better understanding of what stable means exactly.
0: So from our perspective, stable implies that we we don't anticipate moving the rating. There could be a positive outlook. There could be a negative outlook. And that's where we had Illinois. We were concerned about the budget that was enacted last year. We thought, and many other folks thought, that there were some holes in the budget, things that the, the state and the governor and the legislature at the time were counting on that we didn't think were likely to happen. And that's exactly what didn't happen. And that budget came in with big holes when Governor Pritzker took over. He did an estimate and his team estimated that the the budget hole was somewhere around a billion dollars for last fiscal year. So that's one of the reasons we had the state on a negative outlook, meaning that we thought there was a potential that we could downgrade the rating. For us, again, that stable outlook means that things have stabilized a bit. Things are Uh, in a different place. And we think there's a little bit of time now for the state to address some of its fiscal challenges.
1: I want to run through some of those fiscal challenges, starting with pension liability. What's your outlook on that when it comes to Illinois?
0: Well, it's one of the big challenges that the state has. From our account, there are about $200 billion in long-term obligations that the state has that it has to, to repay. And pensions are a big chunk of that, about $160, $165 billion by our measure. And that's a situation where the state has to deal with that over the long term. They also obviously have to pay that down. Think of it like a mortgage for a homeowner. Uh, There are annual payments the state needs to make. And the state has been making payments that, from our perspective, are inadequate to actually fully pay down that obligation. So by our measure, in 2018 or so, the the state paid about $8 billion dollars the actuaries for the pension systems estimated they really needed to pay about $12 billion. So that's that's a gap, and that just adds to that long-term liability burden over time. So that's going to be a real challenge for the state to address, and one thing that we are really focused on.
1: What about other debt outside of that pension liability?
0: Well, there's obviously bonded debt. There's about $30, 35000000000 billion worth of that. And the state, of course, as part of the legislative session, enacted a pretty sizable capital bill, $45 billion. So that's going to add to that. They've also pass some additional revenues to help support that and pay that down on the gas tax side, sports, gaming, things like that. Uh, the other piece of it, though, there, there are two other obligations we haven't talked about. There are what we call OPEBs, or retiree health care commitments, similar to pensions, uh, but they, they're, they're a little bit different, and they're, they're not quite as easy to, to calculate. But in Illinois, the state Supreme Court has ruled that those are pretty well protected. So that's a pretty significant challenge for them. And then there's like, the unpaid bills. Illinois has got somewhere between 7 and $8 billion in unpaid bills to vendors that they, they need to repay and figure out a way to address. And that's way above the level that we see from most states. The thing I want to focus on, though, when it comes to these obligations is the state receives something for all of these things. So when it's if it's debt, they receive, obviously, new roads or buildings or things like that for pension and retiree health care obligations. It's the services of public workers and teachers. And for the unpaid bills, it's the actual services those vendors provided. So those are real things. They simply need to get repaid. And, and having to deal with that makes it harder for the state to deal with its current budget issues.
1: When you talk about that that those unpaid bills, the bills that are owed to vendors, how much of that is due to the two-year budget impasse under the Rounder administration?
0: That is certainly a chunk of it. But this was a, something the state had been doing even before that and, and leading up to that. This is one of the ways that Illinois has managed what we call its structural balance problem. So one of the underlying challenges for Illinois is that it simply has not been able to raise enough money to pay for the things that the governor and legislatures of the past have agreed to spend money on. So over time, if you do that year after year, as Illinois has done, that builds up and creates a backlog and creates a challenge for you as a state. And one of the ways Illinois has dealt with that is simply delaying payments to its vendors. And obviously the not having a budget for two fiscal years that that really that blew a hole in that. And that, that number went up to something around sixteen or seventeen billion dollars. So that didn't help, but it was something the state had been doing before, certainly.
1: That's Eric Kim, senior director at Fitch Ratings an international credit ratings agency based in New York. And we're talking about a recent Fitch report that boosted Illinois' financial outlook from negative to stable and diving into what the state is doing right, the long road ahead, and what that means for taxpayers. Eric, one, a couple of the policy moves uh, Governor Pritzker has put into effect since he took office, as you mentioned, the expansion of gambling, um, there's the legalization of recreational marijuana, and he's projected a certain amount amount of revenue um, out of those policy initiatives. How realistic are some of these projections as you see it?
0: Well, it's difficult to estimate with real confidence the revenues that can come from things that haven't been done before. So cannabis, for example, it's been obviously expanded in in several other places. Illinois is the first place where the legislature and the governor have done it without voter approval, where where they have done it and they have expanded and legalized the sale and uh, implemented a tax on that. Uh, We'll have to see where the revenues come in. And actually, the governor and legislature are not assuming anything in the budget associated with that, which I think is prudent. Um, They're they're saying we expect some revenues, but we're not going to count on anything particular to balance the budget. Sports gambling, similar situation. Uh, There's obviously a large black market there. We'll see what the state is able to tap into. They're counting on that to help support that big capital bill we talked about, all the $45 billion in capital spending and projects and things like that that the state is looking to. So some of those revenues are are a bit uncertain, but I think that the state is taking somewhat of a prudent approach there, particularly on the cannabis side, by not counting on recurring revenues there at this point.
1: I want to quote your report here. Uh, the recent gains, however, are somewhat tenuous, and their sustainability hinges on the state's actions over the next several years, particularly around the November 2020 ballot initiative on the graduated individual income tax. Expand on what you meant there.
0: So that's a really important point for us. The gains that the state saw this fiscal year and in the last, at the end of the last fiscal year, really, were – We think in large part due to the fact that they got all this additional money in April that wasn't anticipated, wasn't budgeted, and that that just made the decision-making process a lot easier, and they were able to enact a budget that, frankly, didn't look as concerning from our perspective as we thought it might be. When when the governor came out with his executive budget in February, we flagged a few things in there, and many other people did as well, that we thought were concerns. There was a pension reamortization proposal, basically pushing out the amount of time it would take to pay down the pension obligations. And that was going to be a huge money saver in the budget for this year. But because the state got this additional money in April, they didn't need to do that. And that was a positive from our perspective. But we also think that the revenues that they saw are are not necessarily going to be ongoing and recurring. And we need to keep pretty focused on what happens over the next few months, the next year or so. And, again, we're leading into what we think is a pretty pivotal moment for the state that November 2020 ballot initiative on the graduated income tax amendment. And for us, it's not so much about whether voters pass it or not. It's how the state responds to that. If the voters pass the bill, or pass the amendment, I should say, and the state gets to have those revenues, will the legislature and the governor at the time figure out a way to use those additional revenues and help match up revenues with spending over time? And if the voters do not pass the amendment, what else do the governor and legislature decide to do to really fix that basic budget balance problem.
1: So outside of that ballot initiative, what will you be watching in the short term and the long term around Illinois' finances?
0: Well, it does, it comes down to budget management. And we're going to be watching certainly how revenues perform. Again, that that surge in April was something that no one really anticipated to this extent. So we are going to be looking to see, I know the administration is going to be looking to see how do revenues start to come in for the current fiscal year that we're in? Are they matching up with what The budget estimates, and if not, they're going to have to make some adjustments on the budget side. There are some elements in the budget, too, that we're watching pretty closely. There's about $500 million that the state is counting on from some changes in Medicaid. And Medicaid is a joint state and federal program, and the federal government has to approve the changes that the state wants to do. And if that does not happen, then the state's going to have to do some adjustment on that side as well. And we're also going to be watching the economy, Illinois' economy is obviously very broad, very diverse. Chicago's one of the key economic centers of the country, if not the world. So that, that's that been a really important driver for the state. But growth overall has been on the slow side for Illinois compared to other states and certainly to the nation. So if we start to see some continued deceleration there, then that would be a concern for us.
1: That's Eric Kim, Senior Director with New York-based agency Fitch Ratings. Eric, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. And joining me in studio now is WBEZ State Politics Reporter Tony Arnold. Tony, first, just remind us of the importance of these ratings that come out of Fitch.
2: Well, they're important because they it's an outside, independent review of how how the state is doing. Um, and the fact that Fitch is saying things are stable, just stable in Illinois, is fairly um, I don't know, revelatory right now because it just hasn't been the case in this in state government for so long and the rating agencies not that long ago were threatening very you know real consequences of uh, junk status on these bond rating agencies, which, which would just devastate it, uh, the state even more than, than the finances already have.
1: Well, as we just heard, a significant part of, of keeping Illinois on firm financial footing depends on the state's actions over the next several years, including what, what happens after this November 2020 ballot initiative over the graduated individual income tax. How much is Governor Pritzker depending on that
2: initiative to stabilize Illinois' finances? he's depending on it quite a bit although um he has contingency plans he often likes to say if you're if you're an opponent to my initiative here to make rich people pay a higher percentage than anyone else then what's your alternative he likes to say that what's the what is the alternative and the alternative is two things ultimately one is drastic cuts to government um, probably across the board some of the biggest cuts this state has seen and then the second alternative is raising the current flat tax so that everyone continues to pay the same percentage of but you know it would it would basically raise the 4.95% current flat tax to something much larger and it would just affect everyone and while that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, it very well could be that if you vote no on the graduated income tax that you could end up seeing a tax increase because they end up raising the flat tax.
1: When you think about this this news from Fitch, how much fodder, how much political capital does this give Governor Pritzker you know, to push this graduated income tax forward?
2: It definitely gives him fodder because Pritzker came in campaigning – on, I can bring stability to state government. Keep in mind, you know, you, you mentioned the, the 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 budget impasse and just the all out war that we saw between the Republican governor Bruce Rauner and the Democratic majority in the House and the Senate, particularly with House Speaker Michael Madigan, and the consequences of that were not bringing any stability, not bringing any kind of resolution to any of the state's finances. Um, and so, Pritzker came in saying, "Well, I can, I can at least get things done," which which he has. Uh, for the most part that led to this stable outlook that said there's still some really big ticket things on the table that Prisker has not addressed and the number one thing is is pensions that's just a big looming shadow over everything as as to what he's going to do to it, to begin to pay down the backlog it's going to be nothing he can do finish in in his time in office but it, it, it at least could he could at least do something here to address what the state's owing otherwise Pretty much all the state budget is going to be going toward pension obligations here in the in the near term.
1: How have lawmakers reacted to this
2: news? There hasn't been any immediate action because they're 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 on summer break. And so they haven't had to do anything. But that said that the, the legislature is still Democratic supermajorities. They're on board fully with Governor Pritzker at this point and really pushing the uh particularly the Democrats on the pushing the graduated income tax. This is a partisan issue. Um, I suppose there could be some Democrats who are on the bubble, on the outskirts a little bit, but Republicans are unified uh, in opposition to the graduated income tax, which is really going to be dominating Springfield politics for the next year.
1: Well, do ratings like this mean anything specifically for taxpayers? Is there good news in this for taxpayers?
2: The good news is that it's not getting worse. And as a result, that means that when you pay your taxes, it's going to the things that it, it's supposed to be going toward at this point. It's not going to interest payments because um, they were so late in paying their bills that they just had to pay the interest payments just before they could pay the bills, um, which was a thing that was happening for a while. So um, in that regard, things like this, you know, ratings agencies saying things are stable is good news for the state for once.
1: Well, I want to turn now to another story out of Springfield. On Friday, Democratic State Senator Thomas Cullerton of DePage County was federally indicted on embezzlement charges. Collerton is accused of receiving more than two hundred seventy-four thousand dollars in salary and health benefits from Teamsters Joint Council Twenty-Five for doing quote little or no work. He denied the charges Friday through his attorney. Before we get into the charges, tell us a bit more about Senator Collerton.
2: Tom Cullerton is a DuPage County Democrat. Uh, for all intents and purposes. He's a Democrat representing a Republican district, but in the modern era of politics, DuPage County is getting bluer and more Democratic. Uh, He had a district that that was advantageous to him, and so he's been around uh, for for several years now in Springfield as a DuPage Democrat. Uh, He was very responsive to our reporting at WBEZ about the Legionnaires' disease outbreaks that were deadly in, in Quincy, Illinois. And he led the legislative response, holding hearings, passing legislation in response to our reporting on that. Um, and so I got to talk to him quite a bit for those those stories. I, I guess I'd also just say that, that Tom Cullerton is—that last name might sound familiar because it's been in Chicago politics, uh, I believe, for a century now um, because there's just been so many Cullertons in Chicago politics. He is a distant cousin of his of the Senate president, John Cullerton, but uh, John Cullerton is— not implicated at all in anything that we're going to be talking about here.
1: So specifically, what is Senator Collerton
2: accused of doing? He's accused of being on the payroll of the Teamsters uh, Union to the tune of $274,000 in salary and benefits without actually doing any work. And uh, federal prosecutors in their indictment say that amounts to embezzlement.
1: And how did he manage to stay on the payroll? without
2: doing work. Do you, was that explained in the indictment? It's hinted at. The indictment lays out that Cullerton was hired by the former Teamsters president, John Coley. Uh, and Coley was in on this to have Cullerton on the payroll uh, without having him do any work. In the in the indictment it says that there were complaints about Cullerton not doing his job and it was those were ignored by the president at the time, John Coley. I should add that Collerton was actually a former Teamster before he was elected to the state Senate.
1: And we should mention John Coley um, pleaded guilty to federal extortion and tax fraud charges. Uh, we're talking to WBZ state politics reporter Tony Arnold about the Fed's case against Illinois State Senator Thomas Collerton of DuPage County. He's been accused of receiving more than $274,000 in salary and benefits from the, Teamster, from the Teamsters Union despite doing little or no work. Do we know why John Coley would pay Cullerton to do little
2: or no work? That's not laid out in the indictment that I could see. Um, You know, John Coley, a little bit of background on him. You mentioned that he just pleaded guilty to his own um, basically shakedown of uh, Chicago Film Studio, the big one, um, Cinespace, where Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Empire TV shows are, are filmed. And, you know, he agreed in his plea deal that he would be cooperating with federal prosecutors. And here days later, uh, we see uh, uh, the result of that cooperation, apparently. Um, And so it's not totally laid out in the indictment what uh, the Teamsters got out of this or what John Coley personally got out of having, um, again, allegedly Tom Collerton on the payroll uh, without doing any work. I think that's something that that we'll we'll be learning a lot more about in the coming days.
1: How are Collerton's colleagues responding to these charges?
2: You know, there's been a lot of um, actual silence from out of this. Republicans in the state Senate. I haven't heard any kind of response to this indictment, um, which is which is fairly unusual. The uh, Senate President said, "Well, you're innocent until proven guilty in this country, so we'll wait and see." When this news came down, it was hours before there was really any kind of. Uh, calls for a response or a resignation or anything that those resignation calls came from the chairman of the Illinois Republican Party, Tim Schneider, and a member of the House of Representatives, Grant Worley, who's a Republican and the western suburbs as well. But as far as Collerton's colleagues in the Senate, uh, even those on who serve on the same committee that he chairs, the Senate Labor Committee, which deals with unions uh, issues affecting unions, there's been silence. <laughs> If he is convicted of these charges, how much jail time could he face? That's not laid out in the indictment. Um, it's not clear how many of these actually stick. You know, th- these are there's forty one counts here. The vast majority of those counts are, are all kind of the same thing. It's Colerton cashing checks um, because he was on the payroll. And so they're counting each check that he cashed as an individual count. So while 41 sounds like, holy cow, he's been charged with so many, doing so many things, it's actually all part of the same embezzlement scheme that prosecutors laid out. So, next steps in this case? Uh, the next steps in this case is that Collerton denies all wrongdoing in this case. They say that this is John Coley trying to save himself, uh, giving the pointing the feds in a direction that they shouldn't have been pointed to in the first place because Collerton did nothing wrong. It sounds to me like Collerton intends to keep his seat and uh, in the state Senate and, uh, and fight these uh, charges. That's WBEZ state politics reporter Tony Arnold. Tony, thanks. All
1: right, thanks. Thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating. It helps other people find us. Another great way to get in touch is by leaving us a voicemail. You can give us a call with any feedback you have. Leave us a message at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. I'm Jen White. Let's talk again soon.